Indeed, Lord God Almighty, we come this morning and we do look to you. We can do nothing apart from you. We do bow not only our knees as though we're just putting on a show, but we bow our hearts, we bow our lives before you, the living God, the one who reigns and the one who is God. And so to your name, we give glory this morning. We praise you, the one who has made us. And we are his, we are yours. And so we come and we indeed pr pray that you protect us from the devils around us. The lies, the deceptions of the evil one. Pray that we would hold fast to your word. Hold fast to Christ. One wor little word shall fail him. Amen. And so we look to you, the living God, this morning, and we trust in you. We rest in you, and I know there may be many here who are indeed weary, confused, troubled over something. Pray for your grace this morning upon each one. They would look to the God who made them. They would look to your word. And they would seek your face. And so may you help us this morning not to fear, but to trust you, to lean on you, to look to you, and to cast our whole selves before you. And so help us, we pray, Father. May you work. May you magnify your son, Jesus Christ. May your spirit illuminate your word, and may you indeed drive your word home in our hearts this morning. And so be with us, we pray. Be with us here as we gather to worship you, and be with the, the brothers and sisters and all across the world who gather to worship you this Lord's day. And so may you be with us, Father, and bless this time as we indeed look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, go ahead and turn with me in your Bible to Haggai chapter 2. We'll be in Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 through 23 this morning. So this morning we come to the final verses of this powerful book. And I'll begin reading here with Haggai chapter 2, verse 20. And so Haggai is the third book from the end of the Old Testament. So find Matthew and go back from there if you're having any trouble finding it there. And so Haggai chapter 2, verse 20. May God bless the reading of his authoritative, certain, and God-breathed word. Amen. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, 
the son of Shatil, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Amen. So recently, really over the last few months, you know, Megan and I, we set aside a few weeks to uh, take some time during our family worship time to memorize the Lord's Prayer. And so we did that with our children, and we had a great time. <laughs> uh, we made it fun for them, so it wasn't just like this bogged down kind of thing, but we had a, a good time doing it, and I, I think our children would agree with that as well. And so the way we would do this is we would kind of take one verse at a time and say it together, memorize it, and then move on to the next one. And so we made sure that each one had it down, and eventually, you know, we asked our children as we were memorizing the Lord's Prayer, you know, we said, all right, well, one of you come up here and and stand in front of us as a family and say the Lord's Prayer. And they weren't nervous or anything like that. It wasn't intimidating. They just got right up there. In fact, they often fight over who's going to go up there and say the memory verse of the week. And so they would do that. And as we did it, though, I can't remember who, but one of our children, you know, they stood up. And they started saying the Lord's Prayer. And, you know, our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we, of course, we heard how it was said wrongly, and you did also. And we laughed it off, you know, as our little child said this, the Lord's Prayer. But just considering that, as we, we heard that, that slight turn of phrase... You know, from your to my. I mean, that's, that's quite a change, isn't it? I mean, it, it's, it's funny, you know, with our children as they're reciting the verse. But man, it's not funny when that's going on in our own hearts. I mean, a whole world of difference stands between those two phrases, doesn't it? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Versus, my kingdom come, my will be done. You know, in the garden, Adam and Eve, they knew no sin. All they knew was perfect communion with the living God. Bliss upon bliss, rejoicing, glory. And they were indeed living out blissfully, that phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done, gladly praising and living for their maker. And all was good. Yet in the midst of the bliss, there came that liar, the serpent, the devil. And there that phrase took a turn away from God away from everything that is good, and it became, indeed, my kingdom come, my will be done. Unless we think that is a slight change behind that phrase are countless, countless woes. Oh, my. Behind it are abusers. Behind it are murderers. Behind it are tyrants. 
Behind it are men and women, boys and girls, young and old, separated from the living God. My kingdom come, my will be done. Dreadful and a fearful thing. We're here in our final verses from the book of Haggai. It doesn't begin with that. It doesn't begin with my kingdom come, my will be done. But it is his will be done. His will be done. And so, so far in this short book, as we've walked through it relatively quickly, this is the fifth sermon walking through this book. We have seen it and we've had word after word from the Lord. And they were very specific dates that they came to Haggai, right? You remember that. So the first one was on August 29th, 520 B.C., And that's when we began this sermon series as well, August 29th, 2021. And then the second came to Haggai as well, September 21st, 520 B.C., so chapter 1, verse 15. And then the third came on October 17th, chapter 2, verse 1. And then the fourth, which we heard about last week, was on December 18th, so chapter 2, verse 10. And now this last one, the fifth one, comes on that same day, December 18th. So chapter 2, verse 20, our verses this morning. And this will be the last time that we're going to hear from the prophet Haggai. Now, sure, you're going to hear and see the verses from Haggai throughout the New Testament in various ways. You're going to see and hear him, or at least see that he is proclaiming the word of God in Ezra as you read your Bibles, but this will be the last time that we'll hear from him, the prophet Haggai declaring the word of God, and he has been faithful. He has been faithful to his God, and each time he has gone and he has declared God's firm words. And so the people of Israel, they were now out of exile, they're back in Jerusalem, but what they had left something undone that they had not, had not done, they should have done. And what was that? That's right. They left the temple of God in ruins. They had left the work undone, and so, praise to the Lord, though, they heard the word of God, they heard Haggai as he's sharing the word of the Lord and they heard God's word and they obeyed God's word and they arose and they obeyed his word and they began rebuilding the temple and they repented and they got to work. Even as we ought to be getting to work in our day. And so God, he rebuked them, but now he said that he will indeed bless them as he said at the end of our verses from last week, chapter 2, verse 19. And so this final word here from Haggai is only four verses. That's it. But wow, there's a a weight here. And this is a, a weighty word for us this morning. And it is this. The kingdom's will be undone. The kingdoms will be 
undone. And so similar to chapter 2, verse 6, you probably are, are thinking that already. You remember, wait a minute, I thought we kind of heard that before, you know, in chapter 2, verse 6. Didn't God kind of say that already, something like this? Well, yeah, he did. He did say that God will shake the heavens and the earth, except this time it isn't primarily referencing the certainty that God would rebuild or have his temple built. God would do that. But this time, God will shake thrones. He will shake militaries. He will shake nations. He will shake history to establish his kingdom under his king, which we know is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so like God's deliverance of his people out of Egypt to power in power, you know, you remember that? God bringing his people out of Egypt, plague after plague. And they go in the wilderness, and he parts the seas, and he brings ruin upon Egypt and their chariots and their riders. In a moment, undone. And so in the same way we see that here, the horses, the chariots, and the riders will be swept away. And the language here is strong. He says here, he will destroy, verse 22, or exterminate the strength of the kingdoms. So without a doubt, what we are seeing here is we are seeing God's will will be done. God's will will be done. Now in our day, how deeply we need to not only see but feel and let it be infused in us the truth that our God is all in all. The devil may well say, oh, but what of you? What of your will? Does God not care about that? What of your desires? What of your needs? You know, what of your wants? What about those things? Just see all that God is withholding from you. Well, as we know well, the argument of the devil has not changed over all of these years. He is doing the same thing and arguing in the same ways. Until, let me tell you, do not believe him for a second. He is a liar. The devil did us no good. And he did not offer us freedom, but what he gave us was chains. And he gave us shackles. And he gave us slavery. And we believed his word rather than the word of God. And so he offered up to us with a smile. Here is death. Will you not take it? And you will have it in full. Physically, spiritually, you can have it. And we took it. And we ate it. And now it is ours. And we did that in exchange for the bliss of knowing God. And we gladly believed Him that 
it would be better to say instead, my kingdom come, my will be done. Well, what does God say to that? God will shake the kingdoms, he will shake the earth, and he will shake all things. Friends, God's greatness in this book, it is not theoretical. It's not like an abstract kind of ivory tower kind of thing. God is great. He is almighty. He is the Lord of hosts 38 times in two chapters. Again and again. The point is clear. God is almighty, sovereign, infinitely powerful, infinitely holy, infinitely great. And His kingdom is no abstraction. His word will be done. And so we are being exhorted here to come under His kingdom. To come under His kingdom. It is, it is there that we had life and there that we can have it again. <laughs> under His reign, it was good. It was bliss. It was glory. But let me ask us, each of us, but what has come of the kingdoms that we have built? Of the nations, of the governments, of the countries? Well, history is not a picture of kingdoms that are just there forever, right? You see one come up, even for a thousand years, and then it comes back down again, and over and over it happens again and again and again. We see it even here in Scripture as the people of Israel are taken and captive by the people of Assyria. Then comes Babylon, and they overcome the Assyrians. And then comes the rest of the people of Israel, and they get taken captive into Babylon. But then Babylon is also taken by Persia, the Medo-Persian Empire. And on it goes. Rise and fall. So what has come of the kingdoms that we have built? And what will come of the kingdoms that we have built? Now, I don't agree with everything that C.S. Lewis has to say. I do like C.S. Lewis. <laughs> I've read his fiction and nonfiction books. And you'll know him, Chronicles of Narnia. You know, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and all these. But he had a gift about just saying things a certain way. You could re just read something he says in one reading, and you could be both like they could be both profound at the same time, and then also stir you up as well all at once. And one instance of this is is in his book in Mere Christianity, which you very likely have heard. It's a very famous sentence from his book but he writes this if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world so many maybe you also are wrestling with just this you've you found 
You know, my kingdom come, my will be done has perhaps brought you many things, but it lacks the very key to the change that you're in. You found that there is still those jingling of the sound of the shackles behind you, that the world and this kingdom cannot give you and take those off of your back. You were made for the other world. You were made for God. And you were made for knowing Him. You were made for enjoying Him. You were made for loving Him. And you were made for being satisfied in Him. Even as I, I quote often, but Augustine says, My heart was restless until it found rest in Thee. And so will your heart be until you find rest in Christ. There's nothing in this world that can take away the chains of sin and death. It is only Christ and Christ alone. Amen. He alone has that key. Don't believe the lies of the devil. He'll always question God's word. Oh, it's just a book. Is this written by men? Oh, yeah, the miracles of Jesus. Ah, yeah, that, all that. Thomas Jefferson, he did the right thing, and he cut all those out of there. Yeah, you don't want to believe any of these things. He is a liar. He wants you to remain in your shackles of this world and not live for the world that really matters. The world that your heart actually longs for more than this fading world that we are living in. And God, in His grace, He hasn't left it to us to find the way back for ourselves. Praise the Lord. He made the way back for you through His Son, Jesus Christ. When you come into Christ, you put your faith in Him. You believe that He came and He died on the cross for your sins which separate you from God. When you come under Him and you believe that He died and He was buried and He rose again, you just say, Lord, take it all. I believe You did all that for me. You're the offering for my sins. You atone for them. You paid for them. You stand in my place for them. When you do that, you come under God's kingdom. Immediately. Right then and there. Your chains come off. Praise the, Lord. the shackles are gone. And you don't belong to America. You don't belong to China. You don't belong to Australia. You don't belong to any place. But you belong to Christ. And you belong to his kingdom. Amen. So it is in Christ he calls us who know him to live as those who are living for that other world. As C.S. Lewis said, for that kingdom that will never, ever be shaken, as Hebrew says. So it's not in you, it's not in my will be done that you will know freedom and joy and life, but it is in Him, it is in Christ and Christ alone. So friend, don't believe a lie of the devil. God's kingdom is not evil or bad or something you should avoid. It's not just better than anything that he may offer. It is 
glorious, it is wonderful, and God is wonderful, and it is no lie. So we are just to come under it. And so we see here then first, his will will be done. And next we see here in verse 23, his king will come. His king will come. And this is what God promises here in verse 23. But this last word, it is set before one man, Zerubbabel. Now you've, I promised you, or at least I said that we would get back to him. We're back to him now. <laughs> We've heard of him again and again in Haggai. The first one mentioned to Zerubbabel, to Joshua, to the people, to Zerubbabel, to Joshua, to the people, right? Well, now here, this is only to Zerubbabel. And so you may be asking, well, okay, I got that. Why does that matter? <laughs> you know, why is that so important? Because of 2 Samuel chapter 7 that Renee read a moment ago. There, what do we hear? We heard a promise from God to David that he would raise up a king after him and that king's kingdom would be established forever. Never ending, never ceasing, never failing, forever. So from the lineage of David, God had promised that he would provide a king who would establish that kingdom. And so here God is saying, with Zerubbabel of the line of Judah, of the lineage of David, that promise, that Davidic covenant is still alive and well. You just came out of exile. I wonder, is God, are God's promises going to continue? And that was a real question they had. Because in Jeremiah 22, 24, God had told the king of Judah, Jehoiakim, that his offspring would no longer, would not rule over Judah. But what of the lineage of David? Where would this king come from that God promised in 2 Samuel 7? Is the Davidic line over? That's the question hovering over all this. I mean, we don't necessarily feel that, but they were feeling it like, where is the king? When it, where is the king going to come? When is he going to come? Is that promise still alive? Now, a signet ring here it was used to provide the king's kind of authoritative stamp of approval on something that he was saying or doing. And so God is saying Zerubbabel is like his signet ring, a shining declaration that he will most certainly bring about his plans, he will bring about a redeemer, and he will bring about his promises. He will bring about his king and his kingdom. And so, what happens in Matthew chapter 1? I know. Genealogy, right? You just, one of those chapters, you just, you love reading the names over and over again and saying them aloud, right? Wow, how important that chapter is. All of these things from the Old Testament are coming together in Matthew chapter 1. Why? Because the dawning of the king has come. Amen. And so it is 
But it says in, says in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 12, and after the deporta- deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah or Jehoiakim was the father of Shatil, and Shatil the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abud, and Abud, the father of Elakim, and Elakim, the father of Azer, and Azer, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Elud, and Elud, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born, who is called Christ. Amen. So that king, this is pointing to, is Christ. And so God's exhortation for us us then is this. As we read these words and hear the promise of this king who did come, come under his king. Come under his king. Now, in saying that, this is not a mild challenge for you. This is a challenge for you at the very core of your being. There is a reason that generation after generation has fought and fought and fought against God and against His word and against His ways and against His kingdom. And maybe you are there this morning. That's where you are. You're not under His kingdom. You don't know His king. You might be asking, well, how might I be doing that? Well, let me ask you, even believer and unbeliever alone, how are you living? How are you living? Are you, are you living like you're the king of your life? You are, and there is no other. So you might ask, well, what might that look like? Well, it will look like someone who stands over their life, over their house, over their work, over their family, over their bodies, over their future. So it's your life, your agenda, your plans are above all. And all must bow to my plans and my kingdom that I'm building for myself. So even as one of our children accidentally says, my kingdom come, my will be done, all of us everywhere are living that out. Day after day, my kingdom come, my will be done. The world perhaps isn't just somewhere you live, but it actually is living in you. And so let me ask you, do you know what what will happen to your kingdom? It won't last. I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms And I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdom of the nations. So no theoretical question here. Whose kingdom are you building on? Whose kingdom are you a part of? We come back full circle, don't we? (laughs) Where this book began. Kingdom priorities you're here and you don't know this king this morning, he stands ready to save you. He came to save you. That's why he came. And living under this king 
is life and life everlasting. Every sin forgiven. Every bit of guilt and shame in Christ. That thing you have been searching for is found. And so he is calling you today to come and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. Amen. Yet this king, he comes and he bids you come and die. It's not as some would preach Christ and say that if you just come to Jesus, you know, your life will just be perfect. No, you're just going to be happy all day, you know. Every day, no problems. Health, wealth, all that stuff is yours. No. Another lie. When Christ, he calls a man, he bids him come and die. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He tells you, oh no, you don't, you don't come and make terms with me. You come on, under my terms, and so come, I command you, repent and believe the gospel. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So what you are getting, yes, is joy, is life, and life in abundance. Glory. But you'll have to fight the good fight of the faith as well. There'll be trials. There'll be a cross you have to bear, but it's worth it. And if you're here and you're like, I don't believe this, and you're telling me that I'm going to take up a cross, yeah. And it's better. It's better than what the devil will offer you ever. He wants you dead. He wants you in the grave. He wants you to remain in your sin, in your chains, and wants you to stay in this imaginary world that everything just seems like it's fine when in the end it is death for you, hell for you, judgment from God for you. And so Christ came and he says, come and I will receive you in. So this king, he came and he died that you may have life. Right is this poem. Don't know who wrote it. It goes like this. Full many a king a golden crown has worn, but only one a diadem of thorn. Full many a king has sat on jeweled throne, but only one hung on a cross alone. Through garland gay streets cheered by the crowd, great kings have ridden one with his head bowed. Beneath the burden of his cross passed on, to die on Calvary, one king but one. All other kings, kingdoms pass, are passing now, save his who wore the bramble on his brow. As you're here this morning, that is the call for you. That you would come under this king into his kingdom and it is my prayer that he would be your king this morning. You would look to him by faith. As we come to the end of this book, I don't know if it's been challenging for you, but it's been challenging for me. 
And I would just say, if it's not been challenging for you, you need to go back and read it again. <laughs> because it should be. I think this is exactly where we are as Americans. All worship is just too inconvenient for me. I don't have time for the kingdom of God. I don't have time for obedience. It's too hard to share the gospel. It's too hard to make disciples. Well, God is calling us to repent and to follow his word this morning. And so there are four closing exhortations I want to give from Haggai here. That we would take, with, take it with us, we would keep it with us, and they would go down deep into us. First, know our worship matters. Know our worship matters. Worship is no inconvenience. You were made for worship. And you will only be satisfied truly when you are worshiping and offering up your life to God Amen. in Christ and Him alone. And so take up God's words and gladly worship in Christ and gladly worship gathering together in the body of Christ. So that's the first exhortation, second exhortation. Know our obedience matters. Know our obedience matters. Those who live under the king, what do they do? They listen to him. They serve the king. They follow the king. And in our case, we treasure the king of kings and lord of lords. My life is no longer mine. My life is his. He is my master. He is my lord. And I follow him wherever he goes and whatever he tells me to do. And so our obedience matters. And then third, know who God is matters. If you have not seen it yet, God is not a kitten. He is infinitely great. He is infinitely holy. He is infinitely glorious. He is the Lord of hosts. So who God is is not up to you. You do not form him. You do not make him. You do not decide on who God is. He is who he is. And he is sovereignly working out his plans. And he will bring about his kingdom. And he's calling all of us to come under it. And to look to his king. Which brings us to the fourth and last exhortation here. Know his kingdom and his king matters. His kingdom and his king matters. We've heard it again and again. His kingdom is the one that will endure. So at the headquarters of the KGB, you'll know the notorious security agency under the Soviet Union. There was this enormous statue in front of it of the founder, Felix Dzerzhinsky. And so there it was, kind of this emblem of communism and the Soviet Union. But after the fall of the Soviet Union, his statue, it was removed. And in its place, it was said, was placed a massive wooden cross with this inscription underneath it. This is where real power is found. Indeed.
May we come under Christ's cross, under Christ, under his kingdom, and under that kingdom that will last. May we, every one of us this morning, humble ourselves before the king and our God saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Father, as we come, pray under your word this morning. As if each of us, if we look at our hearts, even for a moment, we find that this struggle is exactly where we are. But if we are in Christ, that means that we are living under a new king and the dominion of sin has been overcome. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Though we will still wrestle with ourselves and wrestle and have to fight the good fight of the faith, we have victory in Christ, in Christ alone. Amen. And we are part of his kingdom. So may we live under our king. May we do that. I pray, Father, here in our churches and not talking about a building, but we're talking about our us, the people that we would live under Christ. May we do that in our workplaces. May we do that in our homes. May we do that in this city, in this nation, in whatever nation it be. May we live with Christ as our King. May we indeed examine our hearts this morning and consider ourselves. Have we lived as though we're king? Have we lived as though, you know, my kingdom come, my will be done? Lord, search us and show us any sinful way in us and lead us in everlasting way. Father, we pray for any here who don't know Christ this morning. You may open their hearts and help them to see that they need the Lord heard all these things and may they know even now that Jesus loves them. God, you love them. You love them so much that you sent your only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so may they see that this morning. May they respond to your word. If that means it's simply praying in their seat or coming forward down to this altar or if it means uh, coming and talking to, to me or someone I came with Later, may they do that. And so we just look to you now, and we respond to you in your word and song. In Jesus' name, amen.